Alright, so Revelation chapter 12. So we're in the second half now of the book of Revelation. And when we get into this half, all of a sudden we find ourselves reading a lot of, there's a lot of visions. There's a lot of things that are symbolic and it gets, it gets a little more difficult because of the fact that, you know, what we see in the first 11 chapters, I think it's spelled out pretty, pretty plain and clear. But then when you get to visions, it's real easy to kind of take visions and do what you want to with them. And what I feel like I need to do in this chapter tonight is I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to teach you what I believe Revelation chapter 12 is teaching, but I've got to overcome brainwashing. Alright, you got to overcome some brainwashing. And those of you here, you've been taught the truth when it comes to Israel and things, but you've still been brainwashed enough that some of the things as I say them, as it comes out of my mouth, it might send you the wrong idea. Tonight, this message should be a good test to see if you are brainwashed. You still have some brainwashing going on because I personally think what Revelation 12 is talking about, what it represents is pretty clear, yet it's tough for a lot of people when they're reading it. And, and it was a struggle for me too. I mean, you know, I've, I had to read this several times just kind of over and over and over again to make sure what I was going to teach actually fits and, and you know, covers all the you know, objections and things. And I really think it does. And I had asked everybody last week to you know, ask yourself, who is the woman in Revelation chapter 12? And I don't know if you all figured out who it is. I, know some of it, I told some of you uh, who I think it is on Sunday, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But let's go ahead and read verse 1 here real quick. And then I, I need to cover several things before we go verse by verse through here. And I show you what I believe Revelation 12 is all about. But it says, And there was appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So the big question everybody asks is, who is this woman? Who does this woman represent? We read the chapter before and we saw how this woman is persecuted by the dragon. And, uh, you know, she hides in a wilderness. There's this woman brought forth a man child that was to rule all nations. You know, who is this woman in Revelation chapter 12? And so first thing we need to understand though, before we get into the specifics here, we need to understand this is a vision. It represents something that has happened and some things that are to come. Okay? It's, it represents something. This is not to be taken literal. There's not a woman clothed with the sun. Okay? That that is you know this is clearly not literal. I just watched a hilarious video of Spencer Smith talking about the seven pillars of the pre-tribulation rapture, and his first pillar that he had on there was literal interpretation. And then it was funny he didn't give any examples on how the pre-trib rapture uses the literal interpretation because I'm thinking you all are the people that teach that Revelation four is the rapture. How is that a literal interpretation? And then he starts talking about how we need to be careful with allegories. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Because the thing is, I agree with that too, but it's so funny, you know, they, they all warn about allegories, but yet they use the allegory all the time about Noah and the flood. Noah went into the ark before the flood. When the waters came, he was above the water. You know, after the flood, he came back down. What do you think that is? That's an allegory. 
You know, that, that, that's all that is. They use these things all the time when it fits them. I mean, it was laughable that he's saying they use a literal interpretation. Yet when a multitude appears from all over the world in Revelation chapter 7, that's not the rapture. You know, But Revelation 4 is when one guy hears a voice as of a trumpet and gets caught up the Spirit into heaven. And each of his things were just ridiculous. I mean, they got dumber and dumber as they went. And, you know, he, he avoided damnable heresy. But let me tell you, there was a lot of stupidity in there. It was, there was a lot of stupidity in that video. I thought about debunking it, but it was so easy. It was, it was literally so easy. Uh, it would look like I went and picked a fight with a you know, kindergartner. You know? And so I figured, I, I'm going to leave him alone on this one. But it, it was pretty funny. He tried to talk about imminency too. Somebody made a video about him a while back where he was just like talking about imminency. And he's like, you know, the day of Christ is at hand. You know, which that comes from Second Thessalonians 2, but it actually says, let no man deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand. So to cover for that, he desperately needed to find a verse that says the day of the Lord is at hand or the day. And so he used Romans 13 where it says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And all of a sudden, that's about the day of the Lord. You know, no, but it says, let us therefore walk as in the day, you know, because we're, you know, we're not children of the night. It just means daytime, you know, but people are desperate, you know, people are desperate. And, you know, the poor guy, he wants to see this post trip stuff defeated and nobody on his end is doing a good job. And, you know, he's got to be careful. He does as a missionary because he's dependent on support, you know, but, uh, yeah, so he, he, he's got to watch it. He can't go too deep into ructardation, which is, I think is what he wants to do. But he's trying to, he's trying to look mainstream. But either way, when you look at, when, in the pre-trib world, they don't use a literal interpretation. And they use allegories when it fits them. And they love chapters like chapter 12. Because it's a vision. They feel like they can make it mean whatever they want. Doesn't matter if it just, you know, goes against everything that the Bible teaches. It doesn't matter if they have zero basis in Scripture for their interpretation, but that's what they do with Revelation chapter 12. And so, but this is not literal. And, you know, you don't want to build your doctrine around visions and parables. Okay? You often can use those things to see if they help reinforce, you know, what the clear Scriptures say, but they don't do that. They avoid the clear Scriptures. And they go to the dark sayings because they can make those mean whatever they want. But we need to always at least attempt to let the Bible interpret the vision or the parable. So real quickly though, I want us to look at the main thing or the main teaching about this woman in Revelation 12. Okay? And most people teach that the woman is Israel. Okay? Now, I think that's partially right. Okay, I actually think that's partially right, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want us to get a little more specific than they do. Okay, and this is what we're gonna see. If I say this woman is Israel, all of a sudden that, in your mind, if that's creating a problem, understand it's because you still have some brainwashing that we got to take care of. All right, but let's look at let's look at one of the main things they use to prove this is Israel. Genesis chapter 37 and verse nine. Says and he talking about one of Joseph's dreams. Says and he dreamed yet another dream and told uh, his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance unto me. 
And he told it to his father and to his brother, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves thee to the earth? So here we have Israel and his sons, and notice how they're compared as the sun and the moon and the stars. Well, notice this woman that you know is there. She's clothed with the sun and the moon and under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Clearly, that represents Israel, right? Well, I think you make a pretty good argument for that. Okay, but once again, this doesn't give us the freedom now to just say Israel and then do whatever we want to with that. Okay, we we need to get a little more specific about Israel because the thing is too. What's interesting about this passage, the preterist. They like going back to Genesis chapter 37 to prove this is Israel because the preterists also teach that in Revelation 6, when the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood and when the stars withdraw their shining, sun, moon, and stars, that represents Israel. They teach the destruction of Israel was the sun being darkened, moon, blood, stars withdrawing their shining. They use that to prove the sun, moon, and stars always represents Israel so the sixth seal they teach happened in 70 A.D. That's what the preterists teach. Now, there's many problems with that because of the fact, one, you know, while it sounds pretty good, you know, there's zero evidence that this event has taken place of the sun being dark and the moon turned to blood. And Revelation was written after 70 A.D. Now, the preterists try to teach that it was written before 70 A.D. Because for that to even make sense, it would have to be. But it is there is no doubt the book of Revelation was written after 70 A.D. All history proves proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt. So the thing is, once again, you know, you can find things that look pretty good, but they got to line up with the rest of the Bible, and that doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible either. And so many people, so most people teach here in Revelation 12. We um, the dragon, that's the Antichrist, going after the Jews. Okay, that's what they all do. They teach in verse fourteen of chapter twelve. Says to the woman, were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So, right there, they'll use that to teach how the Antichrist, he's going to be going after the Jews. He's going to be trying to destroy the Jews. And you know, God's going to protect the Jews during that time because they're His people. And, you know, and then, I listened to Brian Sharp the other day. He was talking about like these faults that are you know, in Israel. And it's like God's already got it all ready to go. You know, that when somehow the Antichrist casts out this water as a flood, you know, God's going to open up the ground and swallow it all up. And it's all, you know, just, they go into these rabbit trails like that, spend about 20 minutes. You know, anything to just get you focused on other stories instead of focusing on what the scriptures actually teach. And so here's the, so it, the, here's the problem with what they're doing here when they say Israel. Okay, now I, my official position, I don't want to call this woman Israel. Okay? I think it's that we can actually be a little more specific, but here's the problem. Okay, let's say this woman is Israel. Okay, fine, it's Israel. 
So now why does this have to be the Antichrist chasing after the Jews in the tribulation? Because whatever happened, for they are not all Israel that are of Israel. Whatever happened to he is not a Jew that is one outwardly. So the thing is, if I say, yeah, this woman is Israel, also that creates problems, you know, because if you're brainwashed, you're thinking, well, then, you know, you're thinking of the Ashkenazis over there in, you know, in Palestine is what you're thinking of. But listen, that doesn't even make any sense, okay? The Bible says he is not a Jew that was one outwardly. So why do we all of a sudden, if that represents Israel, it's got to be a bunch of yarmulke wearing people that go banging their head against the wall. Jerusalem. That's retarded. I'm not supposed to say that anymore. Right, but that's foolish. Alright. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm working on that. Y'all y'all help me with that, okay? So anyway, let's let so who is this woman? Alright, what does the Bible actually teach? We'll turn over to Galatians chapter four. Now I agree we need to be careful with allegories. But if the Bible tells us an allegory I think it's safe for us to use that one. Alright? So I am going to use an allegory to help us interpret Revelation chapter 12, but it's an allegory that is from the Bible. And yes, the word allegory is in the Bible. Let's look at what it says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. It says, Tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do not ye hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar as the Old Testament calls her. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Who's this talking to? This is talking to Galatians. These are Gentiles, right? Jerusalem, which is from above, is the mother of us all. And who does it compare her to? It compares her to Sarah. Alright? Not Hagar. Abraham had two sons. One by a bondmaid, other by a free woman. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she with chath and husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so is it now. And he wasn't talking about Muslims right there. He was talking about Jews. As they like to call them, I, I, I got to say it like they, you know, Jews. They, they always hold it out. It's like just this affectionate way they say it. But today we call them the synagogue of Satan. They were persecuting the believers, the children of Isaac back then. It's what the children of Ishmael has always done. It's what the children of the flesh have always done. They have always persecuted them which were of the Spirit. It's what they've always done. And we are the children of promise. Like Isaac, and so, and so and this is the thing that's so annoying too. If you talk to you know your typical pre-trib pro-Jew Christian, and you go and, and they start talking about the Jews over there in Israel, and you say you know and they talk about the land belongs to them because of Abraham's seed, 
And you say, well, wait a minute. What about the Muslims? They're Abraham's seed too. No. It's those who are of Isaac. Not those who are of Ishmael. Well, I would agree with that. But the Bible says that we're of Isaac. Because we're the children of promise. Because we are in Christ. You know, and they just, they forget that. They, 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 they don't even pay attention to it. It's just, it's maddening. Alright? I think that's what's wrong with these Christians. I think they're going over to Israel and they're banging their head on that wall with the Jews. And that's why they're all so messed up in the head mentally. But anyway, nevertheless, let's say it the Scripture. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Folks, I'm sorry to tell you this, but those physical Jews over there are not going to be heirs with us. Y'all understand that? They are not going to be heirs with us. When Jesus Christ returns at the battle of the great day of God Almighty and He sets up His kingdom, He's not going to give the kingdom to them. He's going to give it to us. It goes to Isaac. They will not be heir with us. That's what the Bible says. So then, we, brethren, so then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. I would rather call this woman Sarah that we see in Revelation chapter 12. Sarah is who I think this woman represents. Now understand, I don't think when we read Revelation 12, we're supposed to say, this woman is Sarah. This is a separate vision, but I believe this vision represents virtually the same thing that Sarah represents in Galatians 4. All right? if, and the thing is, if God wanted us to read this chapter and say this woman is this person, I think He'd have given us the name. Okay? This woman is not named. This woman, though, represents a congregation. Okay? Just like Sarah represents Jerusalem, which is above. Okay? So the thing is, you know, don't necessarily take Revelation 12 and say, it's Sarah, it's Sarah, it's Sarah. No, it's its own vision, it's its own, its own woman, but I think you can see a very very close similarity with the allegory that we see in Galatians chapter 4 with Sarah. So what does that mean? Okay, So if we want to call it Sarah, if we want to call it Israel, if we want to call it its own woman, what does that mean? Who is this woman? What does she look like today? Who is she made up of? Alright, so let, you know, let's look at all these things because those who are of the flesh, those are of Hagar. That's Mount Sinai. The ones that the Baptists want to worship today, they are of Hagar. They are of Mount Sinai. They will not be heirs with us. And so we said we've been programmed though that when we hear Israel or Jews, we think Ashkenazis who say they are Jews and are not. Okay? You all ought to know better than that. You ought to be past that. Okay? When I'm talking about Israel, I'm not talking about them. When I talk about Jews, if I'm, if I, I shouldn't be talking about them. Sometimes I call them Jews. And I've told you before, that is unbiblical. It is wrong for us to call them Jews when the Bible says he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. That is, that, that is wrong. And when I do it, I do it by habit because it's what everybody says. But every time I refer to those people over there as Jews, that's inappropriate. All right? Just like when I say retarded, that's inappropriate. Okay? So keep, keep that in mind. Send, send, might send the wrong message. And I send the wrong message when I call them Jews. Synagogue of Satan. Synagogue of Satan. Okay? Get that in your head. Synagogue of Satan. That's who they are. So, 
so I think if you want to say the woman is Israel, that's fine. But more specific, I think Sarah, who is the mother of the true Israel or Jerusalem. All right. So now that we have some an actual Bible basis on who the woman is, so we have something very similar in the Bible with the woman. Let's go through Revelation 12 now and compare this to uh, this thought that I that I've given you. So. First one, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Okay, I do think these twelve stars here represent the twelve tribes of Israel. I, I, I do believe that. I, I, I think it's hard to get past that. Okay, But once again, don't get freaked out when I say twelve tribes of Israel. I'm not talking about the synagogue of Satan. Galatians 6.15 says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. There is an Israel of God today and it's not them. However, at the beginning of this vision, what we see going on with this woman at that time, the twelve tribes of Israel was the woman. Y'all understand that? Because... There's no doubt who this child is that the woman gives birth to. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came from that congregation. From that body of people, from the twelve tribes of Israel, Jesus, He came from them. Okay? Romans 11.21 says, For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest He also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Why did physical Israel, why did those branches get broken off? Because of unbelief. After Jesus Christ came and after He died on the cross, we see that that, that nation of Israel or the people of Israel that congregation, they were supposed to transition into, they were supposed to move on to the next thing. This is what we talked about in the book of Hebrews. They were supposed to move on. The sacrifices were finished. That congregation, that body of people, Israel, they were supposed to accept the Messiah and they were supposed to leave behind those sacrifices. That's what Hebrews is all about. The book of Hebrews is showing physical Jews what they needed to do now as Jews. Hey, as Jews, as Hebrews, as those of Israel, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to follow after Christ. You're supposed to enter into His rest. You're supposed to leave behind the sacrifices. You're supposed to keep some of the things you had before. For example, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. Hey, that assembling that y'all been doing for thousands of years, keep that up. Okay? Yeah, we're done with the sacrifices, but we're not done assembling. And so, all the those of Israel who believed on Christ, did they quit being Israel? No. They continued being Israel. Those who rejected Christ, they ceased being Israel. They were broken off. All those who were Gentiles who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they got grafted in with the same vine that was there before. We are a part of what was originally there. Y'all understand that? We are a part of that original Israel. We are a continuation 
of the true Israel. Okay? And that's one thing that where replacement theology kind of gives the wrong idea sometimes when you use that term that we as a New Testament body believers, we physically replace that. No, we became what they were. Okay? The spiritual Israel did replace the physical Israel. I'm not against the term replacement theology, but a lot of people get the wrong idea when they hear that term. And a lot of it's ignorance on purpose. But at the same time, we are a part of a body of believers that was there before. Okay? We are not, a, we're not necessarily a new thing. A lot of stuff changed after Christ because He finished a lot of things. Okay? But, what was original? We are a part of what was originally there. Never forget that. You will not be taught that in a dispensational church, but that is the truth. And thank God, there's people waking up to this that are pre-trib, pro-Jew people that have figured out, hey, whoa, 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 we are a part of that. We are a continuation of that church in the wilderness. And it's only if they've got that figured out, it's only a matter of time before they get the rest of it figured out. So I'm for those people that are that are pushing that stuff. I'm 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 promoting that stuff. But anyway, so you know, no individual ever lost their salvation, but there were some who were of Israel who ceased being of Israel when they didn't get saved. Okay, there were people who were of Israel. Korah was of Israel. Dathan and Abiram they were of Israel, but you know what? They ceased being of Israel when they died. Why? Because they were lost. They 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 went to hell. And they ceased being of Israel. And there were many people throughout the years who were of Israel, who were born of Israel, but the ones who never got saved eventually were no longer of Israel. And that, that's, you know, I think that's very clear from the scripture. Nobody ever lost their salvation, but some did lose their position of being of Israel. And you know what? Today, thank God, when we get saved, we receive the spirit of adoption. We can never lose that. We can never lose our position as of being of Israel. And the truth is, in the Old Testament, those who were of faith, they were saved and they had eternal security too and they never lost. And there are zero examples. you got all these rucktards teaching that the book of Hebrews teaches that people could lose their salvation. In the Old Testament, they could lose their salvation. I want somebody to give me one example of somebody in the Bible that ever lost their salvation. Nobody ever did. Nobody ever could. And nobody ever will lose their salvation. Even in the tribulation. And that's a subject for another day. So, but Jesus did come from Israel. It says in Hebrews 2, um, or verse 2 of Revelation 12. Let's look at that first. It says, "...and she being with child, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered." Jesus did come from Israel, did He not? It says in Hebrews 2.17, "...wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people." And there appeared another... Uh, and then uh, verse 3 of Revelation chapter 12, it says, "...and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head." And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. It was prophesied way back that the Messiah was going to come through Abraham, then through Isaac, then through Jacob, and through that nation of Israel. The Messiah was going to come from them. Who did Satan spend most of his time trying to destroy? Israel. What was his point of doing this? 
He's wanting to devour this child as soon as it's born. Even when Jesus Christ was born, what does He do? He uses Herod to try to physically kill Him, doesn't He? Why? Because He's trying to stop Him. And Jesus Christ did come from Israel. And the Bible says He came into His own and His own received Him not. Okay? So this, Jesus did come from Israel. There's, there's no doubt about that. That's why I believe this woman represents Israel. But people get confused because, well, what about later? You know, if it was Israel before, it's got to be Israel, you know, in the future, right? Well, yes, it does. But the problem is, get over the brainwashing. The synagogue of Satan is not Israel. Okay? We are Israel. Bible's, Bible's very clear about that. Yes. Things change. You know, oh, Jesus came from the Jews. He didn't come from the church. You know, they, they just get dumb on purpose again. We are a continuation of that. We were grafted in to something that was already there. We were grafted into something that they were broken off of. Y'all get that? I, I, know, I know you'll get it, but these other people they can't seem to get it. It's not that complicated. Alright? It's not that it's not that complicated. So, you know, since the fall, Satan, since the garden, he's been trying to do whatever he can to stop the seed from being born. So the dragon, it doesn't just represent the Antichrist, but I believe it represents the whole one world government. Because we got the seven heads, ten ten horns, you know, the one world system. And notice when Jesus was born, this is another subject too for another day, there was a one world government at that time, wasn't there? They had that rule, Caesar Augustus, what does he do? He declares that the whole world be taxed. Isn't that interesting? Institutes a global tax. Well, what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back the next time? There's going to be a one world government. There's going to be a decree that the whole world must receive a mark. There's a lot of similarities to what happened in Christ's first coming and what's going to happen in His second coming too. A lot of things are going to be the same. And so, verse 5, says, "...and she brought forth the man-child who is to rule all nations with the rod of iron." And her child was caught up unto God into His throne. No doubt that's talking about Jesus. He's the one that's going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But what happened? Okay, After He died on the cross, He ascended to heaven, didn't He? And He's still there. We're waiting for Him. So this is clearly a reference to Jesus Christ and His ascension. Verse 6, "...and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there for a thousand two hundred and three score days. So right here, we're clearly now in this final time period. We've got a three and a half year period right here that's mentioned where it talks about uh, how she has a place where God's going to feed her during this time. Now, I don't want to go crazy reading into stuff here. All right. Some of what you know, and this is another example. We can take this. We we gotta be careful just taking verses and running with it. All right, but there's no doubt. There is no doubt. This is not talking about the synagogue of Satan over there. Okay, this is talking about a congregation of believers. All right. Okay, not just I don't and I don't even know. So I don't believe in a universal church. Okay, I I don't believe in anything like that. But at the same time, I believe this when it's talking about this woman here, okay? This woman is a representation like Sarah of uh, the Jerusalem which is from uh, which is above, and I do I believe this is a reference to God's people or the congregation 
as a whole that you could say here. And so, part of what I think, I, I personally think that those who are you know, doing right, living for the Lord, I do think there's going to be some protection from God during that time. I don't want to go crazy here and say those doing the will of God, those serving the Lord, you know, none of us are going to get killed. It's crystal clear, even in this passage, many are going to be killed. But you all understand though, the woman as a whole, okay, the church as a whole, it's not going to be destroyed. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. All that the Antichrist is going to do, even though many individuals are going to be killed, he's not going to wipe out the whole church. You all understand that? We're not all going to get killed. There's going to be many people that are going to survive. There's going to be those who get raptured. Okay? But that, and just because God as a whole is going to protect it, it's not all going to die out. It doesn't mean we can just claim this promise. I'm not going to die in the, in the tribulation. No. Some of us, we might get taken down. Alright? And, and, and I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I think we need to just prepare ourselves, you know, try to survive, but if we die, big whoop. We go a little early. Not, not that, not that big of a deal. So look at verse 7. It says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud uh, voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused him before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. You all see that? So right there, that shows while it says in one breath, God's prepared a place for them, it also mentions how they love not their lives unto the death. So just because God is going to protect the woman as a whole, she's not going to die. She's not going to be utterly destroyed. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be some of us that go down. Y'all get that? So there's, there's not a mixed message here, okay? The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. It'll, it'll, it'll never succeed in completely wiping it out and utterly destroying it. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be some that go down. And there have been many martyrs throughout history. There have been many times this woman has been attacked, yet has she ever been completely wiped out? Absolutely not. And this particular time is highlighted, this three and a half years is highlighted because it's going to be the worst persecution that has ever come at this woman. But, he's not going to defeat her. She's not going down. That doesn't mean I won't go down. Okay? The church will not go down or this woman will not go down. That doesn't mean that me personally, I won't go down. I might die, but at the same time, the Bible says when we die, we're overcoming Him by the blood of the Lamb. We love not their lives under the death. So, this war that's going on in heaven between Michael and Satan... I believe it represents the war that's been going on between the world and believers for the last 2,000 years. You know, the world has been doing everything they can to defeat Christians and to stop Christianity. And I believe it is especially intensified during this three and a half year tribulation. Look at verse 12. 
It says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So what I personally think is going to happen after the you know, three and a half year tribulation, we see the abomination of desolation that happens in the midst of the week. Okay? And I personally believe, and we'll say more about this when we get to some of the later chapters about the beast, I believe that the Antichrist is going to be an actual individual. You know, I don't know who he's going to be, but he's going to be an individual person. But I do believe he is eventually, after the halfway point, I think after Satan gets cast out of heaven, I believe he will be indwelt by Satan just like Judas was. And so, this dragon that's been attacking the woman, this is a system that's already in place. This isn't just the devil. This is that one world government, that one world system that's attacking the believers. But then, after the three and a half, after the midpoint, at the abomination of desolation, I believe Satan himself, after he gets cast out of heaven, he is going to enter into the Antichrist, and then he is going to up his attack like never before. The three and a half years is going to be bad, but then there is going to be a short period of time where I believe that is going to intensify. Because what does the Bible say after the abomination of desolation? For then shall be great tribulation. Okay? And all the prophecy people, well, we know it's three and a half years of the abomination of desolation. So therefore, when it says great tribulation, that has to equal three and a half years too. Oh, really? Can you give me some Bible to prove that? Okay, well, I can show you 14 different charts. Alright? Yeah, well, your 14 different charts are all based off of Clarence Lark and the nut job. And you know what? I've got, another, I've got a book in my office, Charting the End Times by Tim LaHaye. And you ought, he's, got all, he's got all these charts too. They're just like Clarence Larkin's charts. And you know what? He even credits Clarence Larkin for those things. He, he even mentions Clarence Larkin in his books. His are just a little fancier looking. They're, they're color and all that kind of stuff. But they're just, they're just Clarence Larkin's charts redrawn with better animation. Uh, that's all it is. And so, yeah, all your charts will show that, but you can't show me anywhere in the Bible where the great tribulation that Matthew 24 refers to is three and a half years. You just can't do it. But it works for what they're trying to teach, so they do it. But I, I agree with the whole 75-day thing. I'll probably say more about that in a future week. I think that's probably right. Does it have to be? Not necessarily, but I personally think it probably is. And, but I do believe there will be a short time after the abomination of desolation. I believe that's when they're going to implement the mark of the beast. I think it's going to be right after the abomination of desolation because that too, that implementation of the mark of the beast, we'll say more about this in future weeks, that is something that is specifically aimed at Christians. Because why is he doing this? Who's going to have a problem with worshiping the beast? Only believers would. This is like that proclamation that was made in Darius's day where they said that no one's allowed to pray. They made that law. Why? To get Daniel. And they're going to think we've got to find some way 
to get rid of the remnant of their seed, to get rid of the rest of these believers. So you know what they do? They make a law that will would eventually just starve us out. You can't buy her anything unless you receive the mark. Most of the world is going to have no problem with doing that. Not all of them are going to do it. You're going to have the anti-government rednecks that are out there. They ain't going to do it. They're not saved, but they're going out to the woods and they're going to be, you know, they're going to have their guns and all that. They ain't taking the mark. Those are the ones I think will probably be getting saved during the millennium. That's what I hope because I like those people. I'd like to get them saved before they can go up in the rapture. But I think those people, I think they're going to survive it, and I'm cheering for them. But anyway, uh, you know, but this is this is geared towards getting Christians. This right here we're seeing, this is the this is the Satan just ramping up his efforts. He knows he has a short time. He knows, hey, I just got cast out of heaven. He knows that Jesus Christ is getting ready to come and take the believers out. So he is going to take as many down as he can, as fast as he can, and the mark of the beast is what he is going to use to make that happen. And so uh where did I did I read verse fourteen? Yeah, verse 14. So it says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, <clears throat> that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now, once again, is this... Is all of a sudden now this flood literal? Okay, because when Brian Sharp wants to talk about the faults in Israel, all of a sudden now we're just ultra literal on this passage. But it mentions three and a half years again, and I I, I don't know, I, I could be wrong on this. I personally think this is basically symbolic of God delivering the believers, and is what I think is taking place right here. What does it mean when the serpent cast out his mouth waters of flood? I think this is because Jesus Christ is getting ready to save His people, to pull them out of the world, and Satan is just throwing everything he's got. He's coming at them like a flood, pretty much. He's hitting us with everything he's got because Jesus Christ is about to return. He is about to take us to heaven. But you know what? We're going we're gonna to be spared. Alright, I don't said I don't know some of this stuff it is, it's a little deep. Uh you know, it's you know, it's symbolic, but I do believe it's clear this flood is just a representation of the persecution the Antichrist is going to be thrown at the church. And so verse seventeen says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay? He's he's going after the church, you can say, or the woman as hard as he can, and he is going to get every single one of them he can. That's why he's saying. And the thing is, Bible talks about too how he's going to make war with the saints, and he's going to prevail over them. So while the Antichrist is succeeding during this time in killing a lot of Christians, he's not going to be content until he gets every last one of them, and that's why he's going and he's going after them. Until he is can get rid of the remnant of her seed. Alright, if there's any saved person left, he wants to get him. That's why he needs the entire world taking this mark. Because he knows anyone that takes that mark is not saved. And so the Antichrist 
I think he'll be successful, you could say, in breaking up the church. You know, we're not going to be meeting during this time in places like this. You know, if any place we're assembling, it's going to be in major secret. And even then, I believe people are going to be betraying one another. There's, we're going to be dying left and right. But at the same time, he's not going to utterly destroy all of us. He'll never get all of us. Matthew twenty four twenty one says, "For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened." So if it went the full three and a half years, I think we'd all get killed. But you know what? It's going to be short. He's not getting all of us. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus Christ is going to come back and He's going to rapture us out of here. And so, we need to make sure, we always want to make sure we focus on clear Scripture. You know, and we should interpret difficult passages of Scripture in light of the simple Scriptures. This is a difficult passage right here. Okay? It, this is difficult. So what do we do? You know, we've got to go, we've got to go look at the clear things. Alright, if we want to figure out where this fits in timeline, let's go look at the clear things. Anyone could take a parable and make it mean whatever they want. We've got to let the Bible define itself. So when you look at this woman here, and it's pretty clear that it's Israel, Alright, well, you know, you can't just, that doesn't give you the right to just go and allow some group that has called themselves Israel, that God said is not Israel, to be that Israel. It's got to be the biblical Israel. And the biblical Israel are those who are Abraham's seed, those who are of faith, those who are of Sarah, those who are the children of promise, like Isaac. And so what we're seeing here in Revelation 12, is basically the first part. It's showing how this one world system, this of the that's of the devil, it has tried. It tried doing everything it could to stop Jesus Christ from being born. Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven. In that same system that's been of the devil, it has persecuted the congregation that gave birth to the Messiah. We clearly are a part of that congregation. We were grafted in to that vine that was already there. This is us. This is not the synagogue of Satan that it's talking about. The Antichrist is not going to be going after them. He's going to be going after us. He's going after the saints. And so since we are a, we are a part of that and he's been attacked, you know, that system has been attacking since the time of Christ. And then during the tribulation, it's just going to be ramped up. And it's us that he's going after. We are a part. We are, we are a part of that woman. And she will not be utterly destroyed. We might get destroyed as an individual, but she will not be. She will be, she will be preserved. And then she will be raptured. And so, if we are, you know, if we're if we're a part of that, if you're saved today, you are a part of that she. And if you are, if you survive the tribulation, you will be caught up to heaven in the clouds. Does that all make sense? 
I mean, it sure makes a whole lot more sense than giving that to the synagogue of Satan. Doesn't make that doesn't make any sense at all. So don't get freaked out. You know, when I say Revelation 12 is representing Israel or Sarah or whatever, it's the true Israel. It's the Israel of God, not the synagogue of Satan. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much. Oh Lord, for the clear Scriptures like we have in Galatians 4, probably one of the most ignored chapters in the Bible that can help us understand some of the more difficult passages like Revelation 12. Dear God, I pray that You'll use uh, this message, Lord, as uh, not something to scare us, but just to motivate us, to get us excited about Your return. Help us, Lord, to not love our lives uh, like uh, many do. Help us just to be willing to lay them down for You in a heartbeat. Lord, even if we survive, it's only going to give us a little more time Lord, help us just to want to serve You and to be bold. We pray. I'll help everyone with that. In Your name we pray. Amen.